Hello, welcome to a Thursday afternoon session with Bill Allen. This is a Bible study that takes place on my Facebook page live at 3 p.m. Central Time on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then it's shared to our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages, the West Irwin Church of Christ page, as well as West Irwin Live, where you can see also our worship services on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time. And also, it is ultimately shared on our website, westerwin.com. That's E-R-W-I-N. It's the street we're on, West Irwin in downtown Tyler, where our church has been since 1885. So glad that you have found me today. Glad that you're joining in. On Thursdays, we are looking at a daily devotional guidebook from Tim and Kathy Keller. And it's entitled The Songs of Jesus, and it goes through uh, all 150 songs in one year. So since here we are getting towards the end of October, you would figure that we're getting, you know, right along there, kind of towards the end a little bit. And you would be correct. Today we find ourselves in Psalm 110. It is what we call a messianic psalm, which means that it is a psalm that the Jews understood spoke of the Messiah. Or certainly on this side of the cross, those of us who are Christians and believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those messianic prophecies and passages, uh, then we see it fulfilled in Christ. And we look back on that. And uh, 2020 hindsight, uh, we can see, oh, that's what that meant. And actually, there's a couple of New Testament writers and speakers that do that with this particular psalm with Psalm 110. So nice to see my friends Eric and Cindy Mosley. There are others that I know would be watching if they could, others that are watching. So hello to you all and let's get right to it. This is Psalm 110 and see if you can pick up a couple of things that you've possibly heard before uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and also in the book of Hebrews. So my big sister Barbara Kasky says uh, hello, so I think that means it's time to get started. <laughs> nice to have you, Barb. Love you. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Our hearts go out to all of those who are suffering in the Middle East right now. As we read this psalm, you kind of get a feel for that, don't you? And as we remember all of the devastation and the horrible attacks that have been made upon the Israelis, uh, starting with that horrible Hamas attack, and even now since um, so much uh, anti-Semitism, which means against Israel, uh, the Jews are descendants of uh, their Semites, and uh, that means they're descended from that particular son of Noah, and so they've always been called Semites, 
And anti, of course, means against. So that's where you get that term anti-Semitism. Uh, Noah's sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the Israelites, uh, starting with Abraham, were descended from Shem, that son of Noah. But we, we see that everywhere. And so it's little wonder that in Jesus' time, the Israelites of his day, the Jews, were expecting a military ruler. And as we think of the horrible things that have been done and said over the past uh, couple of weeks or so, we, re we read these words now in Psalm 110, and we get it. We get it. He talks about your troops will be willing on your day of battle. To this, um, this can be called a royal psalm, speaking of the king, but also a messianic psalm, speaking of the ultimate king of the Jews, uh, the Messiah. But he was much different, as you know, than what they had anticipated. They were all looking for a military ruler, someone who would lead the troops on the day of battle, uh, someone who would rule in the midst of their enemies, as this psalm says. But it's not talking about an earthly kingdom. And Jesus makes that clear in John 18 as he's being interrogated and questioned by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Uh, he tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my, my, my troops would be willing to fight for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's, uh, he would have, could have gone on to say it's a, it's a spiritual kingdom. It doesn't have the geographic boundaries that earthly kingdoms have, like the Empire of Rome or the Jews and the Jewish state of Israel in King David's time when he wrote these words in Psalm 110, somewhere between 900 and 1000 BC or so. So what, what, is, what does all this mean then? You know, it starts out confusing enough when it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Wait a minute, I thought the Jews only worshiped one Lord. I thought we only worshiped one Lord. And those are great questions. And I think when David writes these words, he kind of looks at him and says, hmm, I'm not sure I understand what that means. Because the Messiah would come after David and so the Messiah would be the descendant. King David would be the ancestor. And that would make the King David greater because the ancestor in the Jewish world was greater. They revered their ancestors. They didn't worship them as God, but they respected them as being greater than themselves. That's why you have that great honor roll of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And so David writes that, and perhaps for centuries, no one really quite understood how that happened, if they read it closely enough. A lot of them didn't, as we see from Jesus' day. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, the Jewish leaders are questioning him throughout, you know, asking him all these crazy, weird questions, trying to trap him. And then at the end of Matthew 22, it says this in verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied, which would mean that he was not as great as David, the father, the son of David, or the ancestor rather, the son of David, they replied. Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the spirit, calls him Lord? And so again, Jesus acknowledges, a little side note here, that the Old Testament scriptures are inspired. David was not speaking on his own. He was speaking by the Spirit. Jesus wasn't making a big deal of that 
because everyone he was talking to accepted that, all the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders. And yet it's very freely acknowledged. Uh, Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, and then he quotes Psalm 110. For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? The Lord said to my Lord. So the first Lord is the Father, God. The second Lord would be the Messiah. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Perhaps they could understand it as the earthly king, but they acknowledged that this had farther reaching impact. If the David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Again, the ancestor is greater than the descendant. And yet, you call that Messiah the son or the descendant of David, but David recognized him as his Lord. Well, things that make you go, hmm, right? Jesus knew the answer, but he wasn't going to tell the, the Jews of his day. Verse 46, no one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And then you get to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, that's the first day of the church, uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, with less than two months after that Passover, and that was the weekend that Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. And then sometime in the next weeks, he ascended to the Father. And then 50 days after Passover, on the day of Pentecost, the church began. And Peter is the one that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, records preaching. I think all 12 apostles, remember Matthias had been chosen to take the place of Judas Iscariot. So all 12 of the apostles were very likely preaching. They were all gifted with the gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking in the language of all the people that were gathered there from all over the known world. They had been there for Passover and they stuck around because they wanted to be there for the Feast of the Pentecost. They're going to make the trip worth their while. And so now all the apostles are preaching in all the different languages and everyone just can't believe it. And then they say, well, maybe they're drunk. And Peter, Luke records Peter in Acts chapter 2 saying, hey, it, it's, it's too early in the morning for everybody to be drunk. That's not the answer. And you know it's not. Drunk, drunks don't speak in a totally different language so coherently, one especially that they've never studied. This was certainly from God, Peter says. And he goes on and he talks about it. And then he makes a couple of quotes from King David, including Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter says, you know, who David was talking about there, he was talking about Jesus. This one whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Um, amazing that Jesus puts that together. Peter puts that together by the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only part of this great psalm, Psalm 110, that's found in the New Testament. Verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And you think, well, wait a minute, Melchizedek, who is that? Let's see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph and all of his brothers, Judah is the son of Jacob, also called Israel, that Jesus is descended from. Levi, uh, the son of Jacob, is the priestly son. That 
that he becomes a very, his descendants become the Levites. And from the Levites is taken one, the brother of Moses by the name of Aaron, he becomes the high priest. And so all of the priests after that time are descended from Aaron. So where do we get Mel? As Dr. John Willis used to lovingly call him, Mel. How do we get Mel? Melchizedek. Where does he come from? Well, he's one of the strangest characters in the Bible and yet very well renowned as we're going to see. Mel's story is found first of all in Genesis 14. In the days of Abraham, 2,000 years perhaps or so before Christ, um, Abraham hears that his nephew Lot has uh, been taken captive and so he gets his army together, his, his uh, uh, men that work for him. He's a very wealthy man by now. God had blessed him. And they put together all of their weapons and they go march after this, these kidnappers in this, uh, ar in this army that was against the people of Lot and his nation and a few other city-states that were in that area. And Abraham goes and he rescues them and he defeats the other kings and he brings Lot back. Well, on the way back, he is approached by this very strange uh, person, Melchizedek. He's called the priest or king of Salem referring to Jerusalem. And in Genesis 14, there are only three verses, 18, 19, and 20, and that's really it, other than a very a weird passage like Psalm 110 that kind of refers to him but doesn't say any more about him. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 gives more of the story about Mel, and even saying this strange person becomes very important in the history of God's people and of God's salvation. And he says, look, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. How do you know that, Mr. Writer of Hebrews? And we don't know who that is for sure. How do you know that? Well, the person who is lesser gives a tenth of their uh, earnings to the one who is greater. That's why we give our a tenth or however much you give of our earnings to God who is greater. Well, Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils from the war and they always take you know, of a collection of the defeated army's stuff. Well, he gave a, a tenth of that to Melchizedek. The lesser gives to the greater. And the writer of Hebrews says also that the greater one is the one who blesses the, young, the, uh, the lesser one. That's why you see Jacob or Israel on his deathbed blessing uh, his 12 sons, including the two sons of Joseph as getting, receiving Joseph's blessing. And so, but it's Melchizedek that blesses Abraham, not the other way around. You would expect it to be the other way around. Well, again, Abraham's descendant, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob, his grandson, uh, 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 Levi, his great-grandson, and then the Levites serve Moses in the days of Moses. The descendants of Levi serve him in uh, providing for the tabernacle, the temporary place of worship that they could, that tent of meeting that they could pack up and move along as they wandered in the wilderness all those years. And so the priests after that could always trace their genealogical history back to Aaron, who was a descendant of Levi. Well, Jesus comes along and he's not descended from Aaron. He's not descended from Levi. He's a descendant of Jesus' brother, of, of uh, Levi's brother, Judah. So now you've got an issue, okay? How can he be a priest? And he's called the priest and king. How can he be, how can he fulfill Psalm 110 then? 
Well, he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not, not Aaron, not Levi, but Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is even greater than Abraham. And so the writer of Hebrews says, even Aaron, the priest, and Levi, the, the uh, priestly chosen son of Jacob, even they gave, uh, paid homage to, uh, to Melchizedek through their ancestor, Abraham. And so that makes Melchizedek greater than Abraham, and that makes Jesus' priesthood greater than the priesthood of Aaron. That's the whole point that the writer of Hebrews makes in Hebrews 7, quoting this passage, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so the writer of Hebrews puts all that together for us, just as Jesus and then ultimately Peter in Acts 2 puts together the other part. The Lord said to my Lord, um, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so we know that that's not talking about an earthly kingdom. We know that's not talking about uh, earthly enemies from the perspective of a, of a real battle in a war, like what we see going on in the Middle East right now, which has been going on back and forth long before even the days of Abraham. Um, and, and, it's, and it's still going on today. It's tragic. It's tragic and it's horrible. And we pray that God would bring about some kind of resolution that would not require a world war, that would not require uh, a whole lot more bloodshed than has already been done. Uh, but we trust him for his will to be done. And we realize that sometimes human beings don't look to God and his will, and he lets some things go that he could stop. I think the sovereignty of God says he could stop them, but he chooses not to. Why? Because he gave us free will. So that means sometimes we get to face the consequences of our free will and that of others. So some of the comments from the Kellers before we close. David hears a word from God to his Lord, but David was Israel's king, so how could, how could he be uh, inferior to the Messiah who's going to come after him? And that's, of course, the answer is that was Jesus. It was referring to Jesus, who was a priest, a king and a priest, forever in the order of Melchizedek. As David saw in Psalm 110, verse 4, and probably had no clue about how that would come to pass. The Keller's write, while earthly kings conquer by filling the world with bodies, Jesus conquers by converting and filling the earth with his body. And what Ephesians is referring to there in chapter 1 and also Colossians 1, when it talks about his body, the body of Christ, it's talking about the church. Again, we pray that things will settle down in our world. We're, we're concerned here and abroad uh, for those hostages, for the ones that are fighting on both sides. We, we pray that there can be some kind of reasonable, just uh, uh, resolution that will bring about peace in that war-torn land. Um, and we, we leave that in the hands of the Lord and we pray for those who are the decision makers. But we know that ultimately, Paul says it to the Philippians in chapter 3, um, our kingdom ultimately is not of this world. And that's why they rejected Jesus, because they were looking for a kingdom that was of this world, one that would fight against Pilate and Nero and all of the 
the oppressors that were oppressing the Israelites. But that's not the kind of king Jesus was. He was the Prince of Peace. He was descended as a priest from the order of Melchizedek, who was the priest of Salem. And so we'd look to Jesus in answer to our prayers, and we look to him to work this all out and to bring about our our safety and our our guiding hand to be a part of bringing people comfort and uh, knowledge of God's word in the midst of crisis and turbulent times. And we know that by faith, he will answer those prayers. Why? Because he is forever the great high priest in the words of Hebrews, in the order of Melchizedek, in the words of King David, who is right there, as the book of Hebrews tells us, at the right hand of God, waiting for the Father to say, it's time, go. And that's when all of his enemies will be placed at his feet to be judged and condemned. But all of those who have come to trust in that Messiah and the Lord, not just of us, but of King David even, and the one who is a priest in the order of Melchizedek forever, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Let's close with prayer. Father, we don't understand what's going on in the world today. Sometimes, maybe right now most of the time, we don't understand why you're letting it go on, why you're not acting to make things different. But Father, we trust you. We trust your will. And so we pray, Father, that may your will be done. And we pray that the things that are going on even right now, as horrible as they are, we pray, Father, that they would be a part of accomplishing your purpose and your will in your world. Not just today, not just this year or next year, but until your son comes. We, we know that you see that just as clearly as you see uh, what's going on right now. And so we pray, Father, that you would bless us, that we would seek your will today, that we would seek to fall at the throne of the King of Kings, uh, the one who was even Lord of King David, the greatest of Israel's kings, one who is Lord of all today, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but also the one who was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. A priest, Father, is one who takes our needs to you and who sacrifices in our behalf. And we know there's no greater sacrifice than the one that Jesus made, taking our sins upon himself, giving his life as the sacrifice for our sins. And so for that, Father, we're grateful. And for that, Father, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you've enjoyed this Bible study today from Psalm 110. I hope and pray that you have a good weekend. I, I know that you'll continue to remember uh, our uh, communities and our nation and our world. And I know that God hears our prayers. God bless.